welcome to Mojo for the Modern Man. This is your host, Ken Mossman, and today I am delighted to be joined for part one of my conversation with John DiSavino. John is an actor, stage director. He's the host of a podcast called Short Story Today, which we're going to really dig into in Act Two. But today you'll get to hear John's story. And I have to say, this one, as I listened to it and prepped, for putting it out into the world, I found myself grinning to the point where my face started to hurt. It's it's that good. It's that much fun. And John is nothing if not an absolutely compelling and delightful character to spend time with. So no spoilers, just that this is this is his story. And with that quick note, every episode of Mojo for the Modern Man is available on my website, KenMossman.com. And with that, let's go ahead and dive into this rich and fun conversation with John DeSavino. Enjoy. John DeSavino, it is a delight to welcome you here and have you on Mojo for the Modern Man. Thanks so much. Oh, it's my pleasure, Ken. I'm happy to be here today. Yeah. Well, what was it like growing up in your part of the world? My part of the world? My part of the world was Massachusetts. Uh, I grew up in Natick, Massachusetts, uh, which, you know, at the time was a little sleepy bedroom community uh, outside of Boston, a, a suburb of Boston. Uh, you know, that was like the 60s and early 70s. And um uh, Doug Flutie was the person who put Natick on the map, uh, <laughs> the quarterback. I, I, I don't, I think he's probably the, the highest profile person, uh, maybe to come out of Natick, but a lot of people I'm surprised seem to know where Natick is anyway. Uh, yeah, it was, um, it was a good place to grow up. Uh, you know, it was middle-class community that I grew up in and, uh, Got a good education. The school systems were good. Um, you know, the time that I grew up in was was, was fascinating. It was it was the '60s uh, when all that foment was occurring in the country, and uh, I was just a kid trying to make sense of it all. You know, seeing it on TV and you know the Vietnam War. That was the first war where the, you know people were able to watch the war on TV. I mean, literally, you know, it was coming into people's living rooms. Uh, you know, you, you, the reporters were on the battlefields. It's like that was the first time that had ever occurred in in history. And as a kid, that was kind of a, you know, an odd thing to be watching television and seeing these images. Um, so, uh, yeah, there, there was... A lot happening when I was growing up. Uh, it was an, un- I mean, not to say that there isn't a lot happening for kids now, you know, but it, it was a, di- it was a very different kind of world that you and I grew up in. I, I think you and I are pretty close in age from what I understand. Is that right, Ken? Yeah, we're pretty, we're, we're, I, I think you're a, a few, at least a few weeks ahead of me, but. <laughs> but, but, but we grew up during the same period. Right, uh, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so, so you, you, know, you experienced the same things that I did, I would imagine. Yeah. I, it's funny cause I, well, it's not that funny, but I have vivid re- recollections of seeing, um, uh, in, in the Newark evening news, which was our local paper. I grew up in New Jersey and, and it was our local paper and seeing, and seeing almost every day, uh, 
you know, images of the local soldiers who had been, who had been lost in, mm. in the war. Yeah. And of course, yeah, the women's movement, Vietnam, the, the, uh, the, the, the moon landings, all of that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I, we could do a whole episode on the space program. I mean, as a kid, that was the thing that I was completely enraptured by. I just could not get enough of the the astronauts and the space the space flights and oh my goodness yeah that that was the thing that i was completely caught up in uh, you know during those years so the moon yeah you brought up the moon landing my goodness that was an event uh that i remember it was, it was like and you know this is another thing i remember where i was when kennedy was assassinated you know we are old enough to be able to say oh yeah do you do you remember where you were when you found out that kennedy was assassinated do you remember the the moon landing where you were uh, it's like these are seminal moments in our lives that i'm sure you know you recall do you remember where you were uh, when you found out that kennedy had been assassinated had been shot i mean yeah vividly i have a, i have a vivid recollection of the of 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 where i was Exactly where I was, I can remember the the light, the time of day, all of it. And I was pretty young, you know. Yeah, I was pretty, I was pretty young. I was um, uh, Pro- probably five. like okay. I was, I was five. So you, so you are a bit younger than me. Okay, yeah, a bit, a bit. <laughs> yeah, because because I think I think at the time I was in maybe like third grade or something like that. Yeah, um, but I remember the the janitor coming into our classroom, the janitor telling us. Wow. President Kennedy's been shot. And we were all like, you know, eight-year-olds looking at each other like, what? <laughs> I mean, that that just didn't, re- you know, that for an eight-year-old to hear that, you know, and to hear it coming out of the, mou- the mouth of your, your janitor, and the teacher was like completely nonplussed. She just stood there like, you know, with a look of shock on her face and couldn't even say anything to us. It was like, it was like the most bizarre thing. And we're all turning around, looking at each other going, this, no, that's a joke. Why would he tell us, why would he joke like that? Why would the janitor joke like that? And we were all you know, convinced that it was just some kind of horrible joke that he had told us until we learned later that it was no joke. Yeah. yeah um, but yeah, these things, boy, they, it's just amazing how certain moments in your life are just burned into your memory like that. Um, and, and standing around the TV, watching that moon landing was another one of those. Mm-hmm. My yeah, goodness. We, we could, you're right. We could do a whole show on the sixties because, you know, Bobby Kennedy, Martin Luther King. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, all- at, at my age, you know, I, I, he would hear these things, you know, Kennedy was shot. Martin Luther King was, was murdered. They, you know, they didn't have the meaning then that they have now, obviously, because I, we didn't, you know, I didn't have the understanding as a, as a kid of what, you know, the gravity of what those moments in history were, you know, I knew who those people were just kind of peripherally. I, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't of an age where I, I was really paying attention to those things or, you know, I didn't, I didn't understand the importance of what was going on until later in my life. I mean, things like the moon landing, I could as a kid, you know, because that was all just, you know, entertainment on one level, you know, it was, something it was something to be proud of as an american but it it was also just you know the best possible entertainment you could 
imagine. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, I agree with that. Yeah, there was something about that's good. That's great, John. There was something about yes. I you know at the, in those days, of course, uh, I, I remember them wheeling a TV into the classroom for mm. for 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 a, a a launching of whether it was a Gemini program or the Apollo program. It was right. such a big. It was such a big deal. Uh, <laughs> So I'm curious when, um, you know, as you look back to your, to your early days, you know, whether it's elementary school, high school, uh, or even, even, even college, what, you know, what were some pivotal moments that really say that you can point to that say, ah, okay. You know, that was one of the moments that really, or more than one, you, we have time for a, a few, but those moments that really set you on your path. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, I, I have worn this story out in other interviews, but you know, it, it's really the only fitting one I can tell, uh, given that prompt from you. <laughs> <laughs> if people are listening to, to all of my interviews, they're going to say, oh, that old story. Oh, I got to listen to that again. But uh, the thing that really set me on my course the path that i ended up on in my life was something that happened in high school uh i was a very hot shy kid in high school i was a very shy kid generally speaking but high school had this effect on me where i was like it was this enormous high school you know with like a 1400 uh student graduating class i mean it was like it was like a massive high school uh so when i went to high school it was culture shock for me and and i was tr- kind of traumatized by the idea of having to, as a shy kid, to fit into this big, this big, you know, machine, this big educational system, uh, and navigate my way through all of that, it was terrifying. Uh, but getting back to the story, my high school English teacher in my sophomore year happened to be the director of the big high school musical every year. And they were doing Oliver that year. And he obviously saw something in me that, you know, made him think, well, I, this guy might be a really good artful Dodger. You know, hopefully people will know Oliver because it's, you know, the Dickens story, yeah. Oliver Twist and the artful Dodger is the, is the kid who lead, the, the leader of Fagan's gang of kids who go out and steal for Fagan, you know, they're pickpockets basically. Uh, so he saw that, you know, I had potential. So he, he made, he asked me to audition for the musical and I'm like, what? That was like the furthest thing from my mind. Uh, the idea of being in a play, uh, and he insisted and he, and he, you know, literally, I, he didn't literally drag me down by my ear, but, but he really insisted that I go and was not going to take no for an answer. So I, I auditioned and, you know, I, I did my best. I, I didn't know what I was doing. And then he called me back for the callbacks. And at the callbacks, which were done on the stage of our 1,400-seat auditorium, uh, I watched an upperclassman, a senior, who was this very accomplished folk singer and actor do my part. He was, he was doing his callback for the Artful Dodger. And I sat in the last row of the auditorium in the dark while the stage lights were on this young guy, just, you know, knocking it out of the park, basically. 
you know, and I'm looking at him doing, you know, the song that I would have to sing. And I'm thinking, I cannot compete with this guy. There's like no way. So I did not even go to my callback for, <laughs> for the artful Dodger. I was just like, <laughs> that was like, yeah, that was too much for me. I, I just, I realized that that would be too much of a humiliation. So I didn't even go. Uh, I had to explain. I don't even know what I explained to the to my teacher, who was the director, but he gave me a small part as one of the other boys in Fagan's gang. And I got two little lines, which I can still remember to this day that I had to say, <laughs> but that started me, you know, I, I had such a, an amazing experience being in that production. And it was like, open my eyes in a way that I, I had no a window into any there even being something like that in the world to be a part of you know so that that just you know gave they always say i caught the bug you know i hate that expression that you know actors caught the bug well you know if i had to use it that's where i caught the bug to be an actor so uh, i knew from that point on that i was going to pursue that come hell or high water for the rest of my life so <laughs> well i'm i'm curious what um, bef before that, um, you know, where, if at all, had you rubbed shoulders with the arts? Well, uh, the arts were something that my parents were interested in. You know, we always had music playing in our house. Uh, you know, my parents listened to the, they listened to the popular music of the time, you know, Johnny Mathis and Sinatra and those guys, but they listened to Broadway musicals too. We, we had Broadway musical albums. So I, I was hearing that in the house. Um, and we would go to see plays. They would take us to see Broadway. We lived in the Boston area. So we would go to see the tryouts, the pre-Broadway tryouts or the national tours mm -hmm. in Boston, uh, you know, so, so, and, and they, they were readers. So, so I was exposed to, to the arts as a child. Um, so that wasn't foreign to me. Uh, but the idea that I could be on the other side of things, that I could be one of those people who was singing, uh, one of those songs on that album, uh, that those cast albums, you know, that never even occurred to me, you know, <laughs> so, um, so when I, but the, you know, the irony is that I was so, for a shy kid, it, when I was around my family, I was, I was a, I was a performer. I, I, I was like a, you know, I was a cut up. I was, you know, I would, I would behave, I would make faith, you know, I was just kind of on all the time around my family. It's just when I was in other situations where there were people that I didn't know that I would be very shy. But when I was around people who I, I knew and loved, that people, they couldn't shut me up. So, so there was, there was, you know, there was kind of a direct line from my, my behavior as a child to my being a, an actor. Uh, I just didn't realize it until later that, you know, it's like, like, um, uh, Steve Jobs would, had said in that amazing, uh, commencement speech that he gives at that he gave many years ago now at Stanford. You can connect the dots, but only going backwards. Right. And I and as an older person now, I've been able to do that. And now I see the connections going back all the way to my being, you know, like a an obnoxious little kid in my family. <laughs> <laughs> Part 
pardon the break, I'll make it quick. I did mention this would be a fun conversation with John DeSavino. If you have not yet, please subscribe to Mojo for the Modern Man on your favorite podcasting service. Let's dive back in. Take us on a brief tour of your of of the of of your of your of your acting career, if you would. Well, you know, my acting career has been less than um, star filled. Uh, you know, it, it it hasn't been what I had hoped it would be. But you know what, I I've learned at this stage of my life that there probably was a good reason that it didn't go where I had hoped it might at the time that I was pursuing it in earnest. Um, because I, I realized when I got to New York, I went to Carnegie Mellon University, uh, which it, it's a conservatory program. It's a professional theater program like Juilliard. And, you know, there are a number of kind of highly regarded programs, uh, university programs in the country. And, uh, I graduated and moved to New York as people would do either. They went to LA or New York. Uh, but I had no understanding of what that really meant in terms of the realities of trying to make my way in a business like acting, the, the constant rejection, you know, at auditions. Uh, I w I found out very quickly that I was not emotionally prepared for what I had voluntarily, you know, put myself <laughs> into, uh, I, it was traumatic for me. I mean, I, I was really, uh, I'm not going to say damaged by it, but I, I definitely suffered greatly going through that experience, um, and found ways to, to kind of justify to myself, my failures in it, because I clearly was going to fail given my, my inability to, you know, handle things, uh, in many ways. Um, so it, it was tough. It was tough. And I, you know, I did think I certainly, it's not like I didn't do stuff. I did off off Broadway. One of the best things I did was I got to be what they call a supernumerary, uh, for the uh, New York city opera. And I got to be on the Met stage also. Oh, wow. A supernumerary for those people who have not heard that term is is an extra spear carriers. Uh, people have heard that term on, in opera, and I literally carried a spear on the stage of the Met <laughs> at Lincoln Center um, in one opera um, with Bubbles. Um, I can't remember now her. She's been gone for so long. Uh, anyway, uh, you know, I, I got to be on stage with some amazing performers but as a background artist you know i got to be a peasant you know in in operas where they needed you know peasants in the background <laughs> you know it was fun i, I met, met some great people and um i got paid for it it wasn't a lot but uh but just that excitement of being backstage at, at the new york city opera and at the, at the met and being part of that whole milieu was just like intoxicating i mean and, and getting you know measured for costumes and and being dressed by dressers and you know you were just a little background artist but you were being treated in some ways as if you you know were an important part and and you you know technically you were an important part of the production but right you know in the scheme of things you know you were just a background artist but you know for a 22 year old that was like oh my gosh i i had 
that was so intoxicating being there. So anyway, so so I had did have some really wonderful experiences. Just you know, that's just an example of the stuff I got to do. Uh, but nothing, no breakthroughs. You know, uh, nothing. I, I fought like crazy to get an agent. That was like, it was just impossible. You know, getting an agent is one of these things that you know. I don't know how you get one uh, to this day. To this day, I don't know how you get an agent. <laughs> and that's one of the reasons I'm doing this podcast because I just got fed up with all of all of the stuff related to get, finding work as an actor. And I thought, well, now I don't have to worry about the money aspect of it the way I did as a kid. So, so now let me find a way to do this that works for me, that doesn't, that's not frustrating, that's fulfilling, you know, but maybe someone will hear what I'm doing and come to me. I'm going to let people come to me now. This is at this stage of my life. I'm not going to them. I'm putting stuff out there and I'm going to keep doing it and I'm going to build it and I'm going to hope that they come to me. And if they don't, that's just fine with me. And if they do, that's even better. So, so that's really my attitude these days is, you know, people are, I'm going to just do things in a way that people can find me and come to me if they like what I'm doing. So well, per- personally, I'm glad you made that decision. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know, me too. It might be, it might be a bit uh, selfish on my part. And I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad you made that decision. I, I, and I can imagine as you were, as you were describing, I, I just want to spend a little bit more time here because I think the, you know, even though you were an, an, a, a quote unquote extra or, a spear carrier, all of those, all of those. Yeah. And I, and I did a lot of movie extra work too. I mean, I made money as an actor, but, but never anything, you know, that was going to bring attention to my skills as an actor. Ironically, you know, and there's something, what I was going to touch on, John, was there something about the, you know, as you describe being backstage and, and having dress, you know, being measured for costumes and, and, and dressed by dressers, et cetera. uh, And knowing that space, of course, having grown up in in New Jersey and you know knowing you know, Lincoln Center and knowing that knowing that spectacular space, oh my mm. God, you know I can't I can only imagine uh, for a twenty two year old what it was like to be in that space, stand on that stage, regardless of the part you had. It's magnificent. Yeah. Uh, oh my menu. gosh. Yeah. It, it, it was it was mind blowing in some in some ways. It really was. Uh, I mean, I didn't. I don't think I had the appreciation for it then that I have now. I mean, I, I was just kind of starry eyed, kind of starstruck, and you know, I was just kind of kind of going along with everything, and you know, with my eyes wide open, and, and you know, and being really grateful to be there but not really understanding just you know how cool it was at the time <laughs> to to have been part of that you know it was just you know I, I was just kind of caught up in it so caught up in it that i i couldn't stand back from it and say my goodness that do you realize you know you're yeah you're you're an extra uh, in an opera but look look at the world that you are part of right now how cool is that yeah. So it take yeah it takes time it takes it takes some time you know to be able to look back and understand what you had in moments like that in your in your youth. Well, I'm I'm curious as we start to wrap up this our, our first act here as we okay. start to wrap up Act One. Well, um, you know the question that comes to mind if you could uh, <laughs> if you could give that 22 year old version of yourself. 
Mm. And if you could travel back and whisper in his ear, mm. what would you say to him? Ah, so many things. But I think the first thing I would say is you don't need to feel like you have to accomplish everything as a 23-year-old. You know, all of your dreams and wishes as a professional actor, you know, don't put that kind of pressure on yourself. It's it's unrealistic and you're just going to frustrate yourself and make yourself feel awful. So just, you know, just enjoy the things that you're experiencing. Live in the moment. That That is the thing that I would say, you know, learn to live in the moment. Of course, you need to be, you know, res- thinking responsibly and thinking about, you know, that your next, the next thing you need to do to try to be a professional actor. But just take in things as they happen to you, you know, and and realize that you're you're having something, you're having an experience that very few people get to have and appreciate it for what it is because it's, you know, don't, don't down, downplay it, you know, as being an extra, a spear carrier in an opera. No, it, it's something unique and wonderful. And you should, you know, realize that that is, you've accomplished something. That's a big accomplishment, yeah. regardless of what you might see it as, as a 23 year old right now. Yeah, beautiful. Well said. Well said. Live in the moment. Mm. Thank you so much for joining me. This is Ken Mossman, your host here on Mojo for the Modern Man, for this great conversation with John DeSavino. Uh, in Act Two, we're going to plunge more into the whole story of Short Story Today and John's reinvention. So, uh, come on back for that. If you want to learn more in the meantime about what John's got going on, you can visit johndisavino.com, J-O-N-D-I-S-A-V-I-N-O.com, or shortstorytoday.com. And of course, those links are on the intro notes for today's show. And I invite you to come by my website, kenmossman.com. Depending on when you're listening, there may even be a new one. You'll know if there's a mustache, it's a new one. If there's none, you're at the old one. So come back and come back and visit me and my facial hair later on. And of course, you'll find every episode of Mojo for the Modern Man there, as well as what I've got going on with classes, coaching, and other cool stuff. Special shout out of gratitude to Carly Farrar for her copywriting expertise, to my assistant Megan Johnson, both at Nacken Company, and also to Josh Hines for his sound editing brilliance. Be well, take care, make it a great day, and we'll see you back here soon on Mojo for the Modern Man. Mm-hmm.